Today's scripture com- um, is a two-part. Um, the first reading is from Proverbs um, 12, verses 17 through 19. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And the other is um, Proverbs 16, verses 21 through 24. The wise of heart is called perceptive, and pleasant speech increases persuasiveness. Wisdom is a fountain of life to one who has it, but folly is the punishment of fools. The mind of the wise makes their speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to their lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb sweetness to the soul and health to the body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Poem this morning is from Denise Levertov. The book is Sands of the Well, and the poem is entitled Primal Speech. If there's an Ur language still among us, hiding out like a pygmy pterodactyl in the woods, sighted at daybreak sometimes, perched on a telephone wire, or like prehistoric fish discovered in an ocean's deepest grottos, then that's the exclamation, universal, whatever the sound, the triumphant, wondering, infant utterance. This, this, showing and proffering the thing, anything, the affirmation even before naming. So when we talk about core values and what's really important, this week we're talking about language and honesty. So there were a couple of things that I found. One is like language being important in how we say things. For example, if we say we believe the church should be unified, that says one thing, but we fight for unity, says something altogether different. Same concept, different words. We believe in giving is one way to say something, or we live big through generosity is another. Both say the same thing, but different words mean different things, as does attitude. So if we listen to the words in Proverbs, it says that sweet words are like honey, and then you get me. Sweet words don't generally come out of my mouth. I'm holding you accountable, which is something very different than what someone in Proverbs says. Now, Proverbs is really important. I think there's many, many verses in Proverbs that should be embroidered on pillows but I don't have that many pillows, so I also don't do embroidery anymore. So it's hard to do that. But our language makes a big difference in how we interact with one another. 
Now, when I first started talking about core values, which was probably back in July, someone said to me, one of our core values absolutely must be that we are an inclusive church. And I said, okay. Tell me more about that. What does it mean to be an inclusive church? How do you go about being an inclusive church? What does inclusivity mean? And so I ask you, as you're thinking about your core values, to think about not just a word that is a catchphrase in our culture, but what really helps you identify who you are. What are the words you would use to identify who you are and whose you are? There are things in my life that, you, that I've taken for granted. And a lot of things that happened in my childhood, I wasn't even aware of until I became an adult. So there are things that become cumulative or things that change over time or your understanding of things change over time. And to be honest with you, I don't want to know what happened here 45 years ago or 50 years ago. It's not important to me what's happening then as to what's going to happen five years down the road. You cannot live on what used to be. I've told you before that I'm not giving up my remote, I'm not giving up my cell phone, and I'm not giving up my microwave, okay? So these are things that I didn't have when I was growing up. I remember having discussions in the living room about who is going to get up and change the channel. Other people remember this. This is a good thing. I also remember calling people on the phone, and the phone would ring and 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 ring, and then you'd have to hang up. And you couldn't leave a message because an answering machine had not been invented yet, and you could not, under any circumstances, figure out a way to get in touch with them other than the phone. So you just kept calling until you finally got through. Now, when I was growing up, almost everybody had a party line. You know, that, but my father worked as a, a line foreman, and he needed to have a private line because if they called him to go to work, he needed to be able to know about it. So we were, like, really fancy because we had a private line until there were some of us that hit teen years and monopolized the phone and would hide in a closet with the phone line stretched around the corner and get in the closet so we could use the phone. Um, I can't tell you how many times I was reprimanded for tying up the phone. But things change. And so your core values will change as you move through life, whether it's your personal life or life in a congregation. So your core values have to be really, really clear. And you have to be really honest about what's important to you. Now, I've shared this with a couple of people already, but I was blindsided this week. I'm secretary for the National Organization for Interim Ministers. And we found out this week that all of our training materials, our vision and mission statement, 
and pretty much our name, has been stolen by the Global Methodist Church. Our name is Transitional Intentional Interim Ministry Specialist Association, and the Global Methodist Church has done the same thing. Instead of doing .org, they've done .net. Seriously? It breaks my heart that people who claim to be upstanding church people have no integrity. So do not think that your words don't matter. I'm devastated by this. And the person who did it is somebody who used to serve on our board. So we're having an emergency meeting tomorrow to, okay, hiring an attorney to come up with a cease and desist order. Now this is all in the name of Jesus. Bear that in mind, that we're all doing this in church. It's very difficult for me to reconcile that and say these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sort of explains my mood. It's like saying, yes, I'm related to that person, too bad I can't stand them. Or I'm going to go into somebody's house and take what I want because, you know, it's there. They didn't tell me I couldn't, but they didn't ask. When I was a young mother, I lived in a neighborhood where we all kind of raised each other's kids and we all shared what we had because nobody had a lot. And so we would share things. There were times in the summer that somebody would say, okay, what's in your freezer? And I'd say, well, I've got meatballs. And somebody else would say, well, I've got lots of stuff in the garden. I can make a salad. And somebody else would say, I've got some spaghetti. And so we would set up long tables in the road and have like a neighborhood potluck. My mother was visiting once, and I was baking something. I don't remember what. And I didn't have enough eggs. And I said, just a minute. And I went over to Gail's house, and I went into her house. Nobody was home. I went into her house, and I helped myself to a couple of eggs, put a note on her refrigerator, took eggs, we'll replace tomorrow. And I went back home with an egg in each hand. They were little eggs. I didn't have to balance them. And I went ahead and baked. And my mother looked at me, and she said, I have never been in any of my neighbors' homes unless I was invited. And I said, but you didn't grow up that way because you lived in a house where you would just go upstairs and get stuff from your grandma. And she said, that was different. And she said, how can you do this without even having them be home? And I said, well, I'll tell you. In this neighborhood, we trust each other. And we know what each other needs. I had a station wagon, fondly known as the pig wagon. And I had a neighbor who was in a body cast. Her little girl had had surgery and was in a body cast. So if she had to go to the doctor, whether it was an emergency or a regular appointment, it was much easier to just put her in the back of the station wagon than it was to try to figure out how to get her in the back seat of a car. So I would wake up many mornings with a note tacked to my door, took the car, be back around noon. Okay, 
I always made sure there was gas in that car because I never knew when Gail was going to need it. But the way we treated one another was a beautiful thing because we trusted one another. We took care of one another. When I left that community to go to seminary, one of my neighbors said to me, how can you do that when the church has been so hurtful to so many people? And we had a long discussion about what it was that hurt people in the church. And she said, when my daughter died, they wouldn't even let the other pastor come back to be part of the church. I said, they had nothing to do with it. That was Rick's decision that he wasn't going to come back for Amber's funeral. So what was said to her wasn't the whole truth. The words that were used were hurtful. She also didn't understand how someone could leave behind everything that was familiar to go to uncharted territory. And I had to explain to her that when God calls, you have to listen. And I said, I've been listening for almost three years now and I finally decided to say yes. And she was so taken aback, she said, it took you three years to say yes to God? I said, oh no, it took me three years to say yes to me because I didn't trust myself to be able to do this. I wasn't honest with myself that I could be this kind of a person, that I could stand in front of a group of people and be comfortable doing this. I didn't believe in myself. And God spent three years giving me courage and building me up so that I was able to do this. And then I went to seminary and it all fell apart. But truly, how we pre present ourselves makes a big difference. If I came in here telling you that I have all the answers and I'm going to fix you, there would have been a ton of resistance. So because I said I can help you, there's only been 300 pounds of resistance. It's still there, and I'm aware of it, and I see it, and I know where it's coming from, so you're not hiding. But truly, how I presented being an interim made a difference. I don't have all the answers, and you can be very grateful for that. I'm not in charge, and you can be very grateful for that. But I have news for you, my friends. You're not in charge either. You have to be listening to God. You have to be honest about what you hear. And you have to know that what you say and how you interpret what you hear makes a difference. We're going to hit this pretty hard in January with some tools that I've uncovered and unearthed. But to find out what really is important to you doesn't mean that the other things aren't going to happen. 
but your core values, who you are and how you function as a church of Jesus Christ will help you to know where you spend your money, where you spend your time, and where you find joy. Having a core value that is a drudge doesn't make any sense. It has to be something that brings joy, excitement, brings you a sense of belonging, where everyone is part of the decision-making and everyone is heard. May it be so. Amen.